say what you mean, mean what you say I'm from the 3-3-0, where them boys don't play Say what you mean, mean what you say I'm from the 3-3-0, where them boys don't play From the northwest to the north Yo, yo, what up man, this is John P. the MC And this is Say What You Mean, my first official episode of my podcast Current date is January 24th 2021, you know what I'm saying? And I got a very special guest with me today, my homeboy from Detroit, the 313, Mr. Finale. What's going on with you, man? What's good, man? You-, you joining me? You joining me on my podcast, bro? Ha <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, you know, but I mean, I, I kind of got a, my first rap beef is with you, though, bro, because you you and these disrespectful memes about my patchy beard, man, I don't really know. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to disrespect Overton. Overton. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just talking shit, you know, because your shit, because your beard connect, you know. I'm hey, it's just... been connected, boy. Just because you got that Ben, um, though, no Benny the Butcher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, listen, I don't know what Benny the Butcher right know this bars about me because that'll be the end of the, as soon as you see lyric the Beagle, Aww. he's going in on me, bro. <laughs> nah, but man, uh, everything is great, man. I'm glad to have you as my first guest. You know what I'm saying? We'll be talking music later on in the meantime but this is the say what you mean podcast so you know finale and i are friends on social media Mm. and uh one of the things i do usually is kind of just say what i mean and i like to talk about movies and uh whatever goes to my mind so i'm gonna just say it bro i'm gonna start off saying it um snowfall yeah i don't know if you hit the snowfall or not but i personally think that show is better than power better than power i mean i like power power is cool you like power yeah, yeah. I haven't really got into Snowfall. It's a friend of mine that's in, in Snowfall. I just haven't was in a few episodes, but I don't really uh What? That's crazy. I ain't really got hold on a second. Alright. Yeah, I ain't really got into Snowfall the way uh the way I want to. I don't really have time to really binge like shows. If I can't really sit down and watch it and I don't really watch it, so and then if I watch an episode here, I'm gonna wanna watch it, you know, keep going. So I finally had the time to binge. Like I, um, I haven't really had time to watch no TV shows either. So now that I have the time to finally watch it, I watched a little bit of Power. I liked the first five seasons, and then I started watching Snowfall. And uh, I ain't going to front, man. I think the soundtrack and just the fact that John Singleton behind it was what drew me to the show. Yeah, had the old school feel. It was like '80s LA, like pop locking. Yeah. LA, you know what I'm saying? Like right before e- EZE and NWA and the whole nine yards, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's what kind of drew me to it. And I didn't know the CIA was so involved with with the drug trade like that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I really, uh, I can't wait, I can't wait to really sit down and, and really like dig into it. So I might, I might do that maybe this weekend before I head back out of town. Man, you got to because, uh, the main character, da- Damson Idris. Uh-huh. Kills it. I didn't even know he was from the UK. So coming from the UK, man, that's that's pretty dope. So yeah, I know I know certain people have problems with that, but um, I like it. I like it. It's a lot of dope actors coming from the UK. I mean, you got to look. Most of our main major black actors came from the UK. They come from facts. So you know, that's what it is. Okay. What um what shows you been watching? Or have tried to watch since you only have time to binge whenever you do sit down and get online. You know, power. And then um, I got this. I'm hooked on like those sci-fi, those those cheesy sci-fi movies. So I don't know why, but I'll be cutting those on. I'll be watching them, boy. Like Sharknado and all that shit. I was just about to say that. You watch Sharknado? Man, I watched all six parts. I'm not even going to lie about it. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. What is that about? It's a tornado with sharks in it, nigga. Like <laughs> for real, like dead ass. I thought maybe it was some type of meaning. So it was really about tornadoes sharks and sharks. Water is going off land. It's eating people. Like it's just a tornado with sharks. It's amazing. I watch it. I mean, but it's I like stuff like that. And then you got one that just came out called Velocipaster. Like, listen, it's Velocipaster. Yeah, you gotta listen to this. The story is, it's a pa- It's a priest. He went to went to Japan, right? And right. He got this power somehow. You know, it's always from like some Buddhist monk, but he got a power to turn into uh, um, a dinosaur, right? So he met a prostitute, 
and she convinced him to use his power for good and to fight crime. So he fight crime with a prostitute and he could turn into a dinosaur, but he's a priest too. And that's where you get Velocipastor from. I be watching crazy shit like I don't know how I feel about you watching that show. You, you, when, it, when it went from a pastor to prostitute, I was like, oh, man. Got all crazy. the elements, dog. Listen, listen. First, you got Jesus. Jesus is first, right? Then God always. Got dinosaurs, right? Then he in Japan, so it's ninjas. So it's Jesus, dinosaur, ninja, hoes, and <laughs> fighting crime. You put all that together. That's a winning ticket, right? There. That's a perfect mix, bro. <laughs> That's a perfect... <laughs> Yo, what was the name of that show again? His name Velocipastor. Okay, Velocipastor. I need to write that down and it's check that Amazon out. Amazon Prime. I ain't believe it's real. You know, somebody to my boy, uh, my boy K Fresh hooked me up to it, but he told me. I looked it up. It's a real movie. Oh my gosh! So finale watches. Velocipastor and Power and Sharknados. Uh, that's a crazy combination, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, it is crazy, man. Like, it's, I, listen, I'm, I'm adding that to the list, but I want to get right into this interview, man, because, you know, oh, yeah. me, me and you, we, we got a very interesting uh, connection because <laughs> the first time I met you yeah. was before we even spoke. You came to OU and did a show, mm-hmm. and this was 2000 and... 10 or 9? It was around then. I know I was out there with my brother Wordsworth. Um, Shout out Wordsworth. Yeah, he got a dope album coming out with Superstition, by the way. And then uh, yes. I just I just did a joint for that. But um, Superstition is producing. Uh, he make a beat, making crazy beats now. But I was out there with um, with Wordsworth and uh, Invincible, of course. But um, yeah, we I, I remember that show. I remember that show. You had on the Tribe Called Quest dunks, man. I know. I messed those up. I shouldn't have even been wearing them. If I, oh. I should have I bought a couple pairs of those, and I should have just kind of not worn them. But, yeah, I tore them up. I oh, mean, you know, I had a pair of Daylight Souls, and I had to sell mine. Oh, man. That's another episode. But, listen, when I met you, bro, yeah. you rocked that show so crazy, and then we linked up on social media through uh, Emery, Emery Petchower, if I'm saying his last name right. Uh-huh. The professor, we linked up through Emory, yeah. and I found your Facebook, and we added each other. Yeah. And we just built a dope connection. So I just want the people to know yeah. if I could ask you who was Finale, what would you tell first-time listeners on the podcast? Who was Finale? Um, I don't know, man. I'm a, so I'm a regular dude. I didn't really set out the rap. Um, I was playing ball. I went to Morehouse, and... um. That's what's up. Some dude told me I look like a rapper. And I was I was like, I was freestyling back then. And um I was really I wasn't even finale. I was just that dude from Detroit. I was on the strip freestyling, battling, and um I joined up with a group back out in Atlanta. And they um they basically taught me how to write. So um those are my brothers, man. And um I still I still look up to them even though they won't they won't really take my compliments like that. But I really I really do look up to them. But they taught me bar structure. And it wasn't until I got back to Michigan and I met one below and I met a dude named Fame. He lives in uh his name was fifty grand back then. But he lives in uh Cincinnati now. But I met them too. And I used to open one below shows and that's how I started. But um I don't know, man. I'm just a humble dude. Hopefully, you look at me that way. I can't call myself humble. That wouldn't be humble. But um, <laughs> um, I just try to keep my head down, work hard, and um, I'm grateful for whatever comes from from rap, man. I think I look at music a little bit differently than most. But um, I mean, I, I've seen a lot, done a lot, and um, that's it. That's it. So you said you were playing ball at Morehouse, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay, okay, that's what's up. Around what year was that you was playing? Shoot, that was about what? 98, 99, about that time. I played for football or basketball. Football. I played. Oh, sh- okay. I played for a minute. I played for a minute. I was a walk on. Um, I had different. Um, I played a cast in Detroit. And then um, I got injured my last year. And Morehouse was like my last, last resort. And I went down there. 
and I didn't really know what to expect. I was able to get in. Um, I had a couple other scholarships up here to MSU and stuff, but um, I don't know, man. I wanted to try out uh, HBCU. And when I got down there, it's a different world. I'm going to tell you right now, if you go to a HBCU, I think everybody, everybody black should go to a HBCU. I was almost a Morehouse man myself. I tore Even it down for there. a semester. I didn't graduate from Morehouse. Um, I ended up coming back, going to Wayne State, and um, ended up working at the plant. And um, I ended up getting, I ended up going to school. I mean, getting a job, what I was going to school for. So I ended up dipping out. I still got like a couple semesters left. I should have finished. That's what's up. What was your major? Um, mechanical engineering. So I ended up mechanical engineering in the engineering gig before I graduated. So it was kind of a toss up. So, um, but I ended up um, down there. The thing about the HBCU is, even though I didn't graduate from Morehouse, I still talk to the everybody from the LLC and Graves Hall to this day. Those are my brothers. Nice. Those are my brothers. We look out for each other. If I go to Atlanta, you know, they got me if they come here. I got them. I still talk to them to this day. You know, we look out for each other. And that's that's the that's the great thing about HBCU. When I went to Morehouse, if I was messing up in class, I went to my teacher's house. My teacher, you know, I would eat dinner with his family. And um, you know, we would, you know, we would work on work on work on my test and work on whatever I was messing up on. But that is that's a dope connection to have. That's Everybody dope. got that. That's that's the good thing about going to a smaller school and HBCU. Even though Morehouse was expensive as hell, but it was it was worth it. It was worth it, man. I think everybody should get at least a semester experience at HBCU, especially if you like us. You know, right? You should see that it's different. It's different, but I think it it'll change you and give you a different view. You know what I'm saying? But but yeah, I started down there. And things didn't really take off till I got back to Michigan. So, and then um, I just started opening up shows. And like I said, I got I got a job working as a, a diagnostic engineer, which is basically uh, making like CAD drawings and, and ripping out like wire harnesses for cars and stuff like that. But um, I remember the HR lady pulled me in the office. By that time, I was hitting every single open mic in the city. Um, right. Like every single one. If it was one in Pontiac, I was there. If it was one in Detroit at Lush Lounge, I was there. If it was Ebony Showcase over on 7 Mile, I was there. In the hood, wherever it needed to be. Pontiac, Detroit, Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor. I was I was wherever it was a mic, I was there. But um, she pulled me in the office. There's a black lady. And she pulled me in the office because I was literally getting out the club at 2 or 3, sleeping for an hour, and coming to work. And then turn around the weekends... I started getting gigs, so I started started doing like the electronic music festival and started the gigs started getting bigger. I was in right. school. I tried to go back to school and finish up, and um, she had pulled me in the office and she was like, "Do you even want to be here? You want this job?" I had been there for like three years, and I sat there and I thought about it. I said, "I don't know." Mm. So I went back to my desk. It was so crazy. I used to make a deal with my boss that if he pressed up my CDs at his desk, I would do my project. So wow, he, he, that's he, dope. He would, he would press <laughs> up like I was like I need, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, I'm doing an electronic music festival, so I'm gonna need I'm gonna need 150 CDs. So I would give him a stack of CDs and I would go do my project, and then he would give them to me because he he was just a he was a hip hop fan, so he he gave them to me, and then um. Hip hop started taking off, so I said I need to give one six months. It was either school, it was either work, or it was either rap. And so, mm. work was always going to be there. Once I got in, about three and a half years, I was like, I can come back and do this whenever. And um, school, I was already doing what I was going to school for. So I the only the only logical one in my head, stupidly back then, was was rap. So I was like, I'm going to give myself six months. If it don't work out, at least I could say I tried. So at least you can say you tried. Six right. months. I went in. I was everywhere. I was doing everything. Things kind of took off really, really fast for me. And then six months kind of turned into eight to ten years. So eight to ten years of running. And the next thing I know, the only reason I stopped 
and disappeared was because I was in the middle of South by Southwest. I was down there for like the second year. And um, I was down there with my label, making the rounds, and my ex called me. And she told me she was pregnant. And um, I didn't even think twice about it. I had just signed a deal to do a follow-up album for Pipe Dream and the Promise. Wow, that that that's the album that made me a they fan, dropped, brother. Appreciate that. They had dropped the money in my bank account because uh, I was gonna stay down there like an extra couple weeks, and the guy was like, uh, "Well, let's make the deal right here. You want to stay down here?" I was like, "Yeah." So he was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna just give you the money right now. We good. We shook on it. He shot me the advance, and um, I was cool. And she called me and told me she was pregnant. When I got home, I changed my number. I dipped out, Man. and um. And that was it. And I signed it. I signed two deals. I signed the Pipe Dream deal, and then I got another advance from Mello for the Odyssey album. And um, and then I ended up telling Mello, I was like, "Listen, my baby coming like in May. So if you're gonna mm -hmm. do it, you better give me these beats right now." And so they didn't give me the beats until like May, like a week or so before he came out. And so um, I told them, I was like, "Listen, all right." That's off. It's cool. I'll do the record, but I ain't telling you how long it's going to take. So y'all going to have to wait. When my kid is big enough, I'll give mm -hmm. you the album back. And I waited till Caden was old enough to, to talk and tell me that I could, I could give them the album. That's why it took so long for odds and ends to come out. But I, yeah, cause I remember for a minute you were, you was dropping and then, um you kind of went quiet i was working minute. i was busting my ass i decided to work i didn't want to i knew what would happen after i put a record out because it goes you mm -hmm. put the record out and when you sign to a label you got a tour you got to do the little press runs you got to hop here and there and one thing i did not want to do is not be there for my kid yeah you know you wouldn't have had the time i mean yeah. and it was people telling me yo you could do both you could do i don't want to do both because the one thing right. that trumps everything with me is family so that's what I want. Even though I wanted a record deal, and I know it's a lot of niggas that would kill for a record deal, um, I, just, I really wanted a family. So when I found out they was coming, it was like, oh, hey, y'all niggas wanted to wait. So that's, that's really what I did. So when he was old enough, I asked him. I asked him when he was about six. <clears throat> I was like, you cool with this? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, all right. And that's when I gave the record. That's truth. That's when I gave the record to Mike, and I gave it. So you just you wanted to experience yeah, being a I mean, father first. Oh, and I, I gave it to that. Mike, and I said I'm sorry, and that's it. He could have dropped me. I mean, I'm keeping a hundred. He could have dropped me. I ain't never been dropped from the label, but he could have been like, "Yo, give me my money back." Deals off. So at the end of the mm -hmm. day, for any if there's any issue or bad blood or whatever. um, I still appreciate him because he wanted the record that much that he was willing to wait five, six years. Most labels wouldn't do that. So, cause I just, I dis when I say I disappeared, I disappeared on him too. I got like dozens and dozens of messages asking me where the record was, but I just, I kept <laughs> telling them like, it was, they was right. They wanted that shit. It's coming next week. Don't worry about it. It's coming next week. But I would never turn it in that next week. I would just and I dragged it out for like five, six years. And I did it. But like, you know, me and him had our run-ins, and it is what it is, you know, good, bad, ugly, or whatever with me and um, you know, with me and Mike and me and Melo or whatever, but but no, nah, man, I learned from every situation. But I, I do uh, the one thing I do appreciate him from him is the fact that he was, you know, he was patient and he wanted, he wanted it. So. So you having that experience with signing the labels, um, you know, obviously getting paid and then, you know, dealing with situations such as uh, turning in albums. What would you tell an up and coming artist are the pros and cons of being an MC in the business or anything? For that um, matter? Plan ahead. As much plan as you ahead. can. I mean, I know, you know, we got this big pipe dream, you know, <laughs> that you want to get on. But the reason I named my record Pipe Dream and the Promise was because that's what that's what hip hop is in a nutshell. We come up with these crazy dreams of like, I'm about to blow up. 
I'm about to do this. And we and on the flip side, we make all these promises to our girls, to our wives, to our mamas, to everybody that's just riding with us. That, you know, when I get big, you know what I'm saying? This, all this is going to change. But 99, 99% yeah. of the time, it don't never... It don't never form formulate like that. It don't never turn out the way you the way you think it will. So, but it's a struggle, man. You either got to be ready as much as you can for it, but it's gonna hit. When it hit, you just got to be built for it. You either gonna let it knock you down, or you either gonna you know you gonna you gonna stick it out. But I'm telling. You, what year did you drop a pipe? Two thousand ten. And what number project was that for you? Was that your debut? Like formal uh, debut album? It was kind of like my debut album. But like I dropped the record in 2007 with a producer from Brooklyn named Spit1200. He was part of a group called Two for Five with Ace Lover in October. And um, that's got that Mr. Telephone yeah. man on there, right? And, uh, oh, man. I love I that. I met record. him through this Japanese um, dude um, named Kaku. And um, um, I was recording music with him. Me and Invincible was, and I met him just around around the way. He lived in Corktown, which is in uh, in Detroit. But um, he was in town, and him and Kaku. So Spears Japanese. So Kaku's Japanese. So they, I had met him when he came in town, and he had started playing beats. We had knocked out the majority of develop. He was in town for two weeks, and we just started recording. And we knocked out the majority of developing like in that two weeks, like 99% of it. We did it. We just, we just knocked it out fast. And then he went back to Brooklyn. And the next thing you know, he just hit me and he was like, I'm moving to Detroit. What? So he moved to Detroit. We finished up, developed. And then um, my boy Slop Funk Dust, he was heading up when Ruckus was trying to start back up again. They got new investors. Um, they had Slop come up with this this contest called Ruckus 50 um, back then. And Slop, it hit me. You weren't supposed to. I don't care. Um, you were supposed to submit <laughs> your shit. <laughs> and, um, and hundreds and hundreds of rappers, I don't know, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of rappers, they submitted their projects to be one of the Ruckus 50. Well, just to balance it out and keep it quality, they had a some standbys, some some ringers, and so um, I had the record with Spear. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, and um, I ended up giving it to Ruckus for the Ruckus Fifty situation. So mm -hmm. um, that was that was dope. That Ruckus Fifty is how I met Hassan Mackey. Is how Hassan. Everybody man. was everybody was dope in it. Roddy Rod. Um, Everybody was everybody was dope on Camber. Like I, I really came that's how I got cool with low budget and all them dudes, but um that came out and I ended up doing the digital with Rockets fifty and then Fat Beats came in and they bought up the rights for the the physical. And um I had already had a somewhat relationship with Fat Beats because at that time I was negotiating my first single at Fat Beats. Um um, and the crazy part is how it came about was, um, so I did a record when I started, it wasn't no producer in the States who would really fuck with me. I'm going to keep it, whatever. I don't care. I'm cool with a lot of producers, but a lot of these niggas that I'm cool with and smile on my face to this day, they would not give me the time of day. What was the time frame? Or you said this, this is 06, 06, right? This is around between 06 and, and 2010 and a little bit before 2006. Like 2000, between 2001 and 2010, I was just kind of, I was just rhyming around. It's just what it was. And I just kept met, meet, meeting different producers. But before Spear and even after Spear, it wasn't really any producers really, really messing with me like that. Like a lot of these producers that you know that I know, these niggas wasn't fucking with me before things started moving in a different different direction. But the right. producers that did mess with me was on this UK message board I found. And I forgot. It's called, I don't remember. It's called UK Underground Hip Hop or something like that. And I used to do, you know, text MC battles. You remember that shit? Oh, man, they do that now <laughs> on YouTube. So I, <laughs> in the comments. I used to do that. And I went. 
You got to make you an account and go in there and body them, bro. I was, go ahead and type it out. <laughs> I was on there typing like whole pages. Like, I got you right now. We was forming little groups and everything. And the next thing I know, um, it was a producer section. And all of these producers, and they hit me up. And the weird thing was, they hit me up and they said, all right, I want you to do these records. But they were from London. They were from Japan. They were from Amsterdam. They were from Scotland. And it was a kid from Scotland. I did my first record. His name is S-Type. Now, he's an amazing producer. He produces, now, he produces with a dude named Jay Soup. Um, they're dope. And um, they, they got a name now. But it was him and another producer that's super huge now. His name is Beat Butcher. Uh, Beat Butcher mm -hmm. lives in L.A. now, and he produces a lot of records for like Wiz Khalifa and Griselda and stuff like that, but he's a part of a production crew, but it's crazy to see how far we came, but those were the producers that hit me up, and they didn't hit me up and say, let's just do some joints. They said, let's do some joints, and I'm going to press it up. So the first few records, I, the first few pieces of vinyl, the first five to ten pieces of vinyl I put out, all the music I put out was overseas. That must be a great market. What's that market like overseas they love versus the United States? And I'm not saying we don't love hip-hop. Do. When I say they love hip-hop, they study hip-hop. They study. Oh, they man. know you before you get there. I'm going to tell you. I was on Ain't that the truth? <laughs> the first time me and Invincible did South by Southwest, I had been down there doing press runs. This was after our signed with Independent and um, Universal. And I was down there doing press runs and... um. Um, I I didn't get to perform. I was kind of pissed because the label flew me out there, and I had I had to do interviews like all the whole time I was there. But I didn't get to rap, so I get to see all these niggas rapping, and I'm down here around all these rappers, and all I got to do is sit down with these reporters <laughs> and talk shit like a yeah like, like I can't I rap. Let me get that mic one time, and so. Man, and so you at South by Southwest. She too. did a show and it was Redmatic DJing, and she was like, "Yeah, come on up here." So I went up. I went down there. Invincible was doing was doing the show, and um, I get on stage. I do jungle music, um, the double time joint, and I get up there, and we get off stage, and it's a guy in the crowd, and he walks up, and he was like, "Listen, that was amazing. I run the biggest festival in France." I want y'all to come over. We looked at each no other way. and was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, we was in France. We was at the U Rock Hands Festival in France. Because that's the wow. first time I saw Kanye and Amber Amber uh, Amber together, Amber Rose together. Oh my God. You saw Amber I Rose? Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. I didn't even pay Kanye when I saw him. I was about to ask you about producers too, but let's talk about Amber Rose now. Just wait. <laughs> Listen, well, I'm gonna ask you about Detroit producers, but you say Amber Rose, and we, we lost me. First, it was huge. I mean, like, when they do, they yeah. don't do festivals and shows like we do. They save their money and they do what they call weekend festivals. So they rent out a place like Biggest Woodstock, and they set up all these stages. They set up small stages, big stages, and people they camp out for like the weekend. So they save their money, save a couple hundred dollars, and they they bring tents out. And they, they just moved from stage to stage. And um, I remember getting there for the first day and standing at the top of the hill. And I saw like 200,000 people just moving like in a wave, like from stage to stage. And I had never seen that many people to come wow. see music. It was all different kind of performance. But um, we did the small stage. Small stage was about, I don't know, a thousand people. We killed it. Then the, the guy comes back. We sit down and eat with him, like, and then, you know, his private little suite or whatever. And we sitting there talking to him. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, y'all ain't done. I want you to do the next stage. So we did the What? We rocked the so next I kept day. rocking. The next day was, um, it was 5,000 people. So we jumped from 1,000 to 5,000 people. And I remember standing on stage. And while we rapping, the stage is about... I don't know, 20, 30 feet in the air. I'm sitting on the edge of the stage. I'm like, no, I'm about to enjoy this. So we rapping, you know, invincible rapping. And when it's my turn to rap, I just cop a squat. I sit right on the edge of the stage and I just look out. And just embraced it. And I just, just embraced I it, it all in. And um, 
I saw in the crowd of 5,000 people, I saw one dude. This dude was rapping every joint that I rapped word for word. I got Man. off stage, I ran out to him, I found him in the crowd of 5,000 people. He couldn't speak a lick of English, but he knew my he knew my raps. And I had no clue. I, I didn't really have a record out, and I didn't know my records was getting that far, but he had already knew me, but no. Nah. That's got to be a dope feeling because uh, how you said they appreciate real hip-hop overseas um, versus here, it makes me want to ask you kind of that question in regards mm-hmm. to Detroit. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Detroit music scene that you experience versus what's popular now? Because a lot of people think that Detroit is just artists like Sada Baby and uh, Payroll Giovanni and Peasy and things like that. But you mentioned going to the open mics and experiencing that side of Detroit and some of the best MCs. So what do you think are the differences between I think it's always a yin and yang. Detroit is made up of circles. I mean, and I think every city is made up of circles. So here's the thing with me. I like the way every, I think every city sounds different. So I'm a fan of Detroit hip hop. And when I say that, Detroit is about, okay, you got, you got the proof circle. Those is the, you know, that's the that's the gangsters, I guess. And then you got you got the Dilla mm-hmm. circle. So and then you got the outskirts circle, which is kind of like the one below, the one man armies, the subterraneous crew. Though they're from Pontiac. That's a different sect, but I still consider them Detroit hip hop because they contribute. And then you got the Ann Arbor. Invincible was technically from Ann Arbor, but she came and made her impact, made she made the impact in Detroit. So AML is from Ann Arbor. Um, all them dudes are from Ann Arbor. The KT, 14 KT is from Ann Arbor. Um, you know, Air. But, you know, they got signed to Barack in Detroit. Then you got the Hood Hood Detroit. You know, the Cheddar Boys. You got the Street Lords. You got Big Herc. You got Juan. You got... You got Dusty McFly. You got Sada Baby. You got you got. I'm a fan of everybody, but my the thing I wanted to do, especially from going to the open mics, is keep my foot in every circle. The circles out here really don't fuck with each other, and that's a that's a fact. But mm. I just wanted to keep my keep a foot in every circle. Just be cool with everybody. I'm the neutral guy, so I'm cool. I'm cool with anybody. My thing is. If you can't, and I used to go to different types of open mics and just to see, it was a test for myself. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you put an underground nigga in his hood open mic, he going to get booed the fuck off stage. Man, (laughs) bruh, listen, finale, let me tell you this. When I went to Cleveland, I went to a hood open mic and they was not feeling me. Man, they was not ready for it. So that definitely, oh, man, that's crazy that you say that even in Detroit because, you know, a lot of people assume that the there's like a mutual respect amongst like the different groups in Detroit. But as you said, and I've heard even interviews, Detroit artists say they don't really they don't. rock they'll with tell each other you, They'll like tell you that. now. You got to listen to interviews that, that Sada Baby are doing. They'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that like, was the example I was using. I don't yeah. know no niggas in the hood to listen to Eminem. Or I don't know nobody to listen to Royce or no blah, blah, blah. But they'll turn around and they'll take that feature, though. They'll turn around, take that feature, and that's the way the Detroit rolls. They'll take an opportunity to get ahead. But I'm going to tell you right now, the rule in Detroit for my circle is you got to leave and make it, then come back for people to pay attention. Nobody paid attention until I got chairman's choice in XXL. I was sitting in the barbershop, and the barber was reading XXL. I was waiting my turn, and he opened it. He got to the back, and he flipped it around real slow, and he looked at me while he was sitting in his chair, and he was like, nigga, is this you? I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that was you in XXL. What was that like? Oh, man. Yeah, that was, I didn't that know you were in XXL. You know what I'm saying? That was a good look. That was around the time, you know, Pipe Dreaming the Promise. That's what got me in it, and... um. That's when all the all the websites and everything was 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 pushing it. The machine, the machine was working for me, um, and you know I, I just I just appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? But no, nah, you gotta leave, make it, come back. And if you look at the history of Detroit, and as far as the rappers, that's not super hood. 
you could be hood and you could run Detroit, but the difference is would you rather be hood and run this just the city or would you rather just be an artist and be able to kind of just leave your footprint wherever you want because this niggas that just they only good in detroit in certain states only good in detroit and maybe mm -hmm. down south but you got niggas like fat cat that still steadily tours guilty that writes his own ticket that dilla Guilty Samson, Milk man, guilty is And he works because he works with Jack Black a lot. I mean, with, uh, with, uh, with Jack White, Jack White a lot. And um, and he he's in a different he's on he's in a different genre. He's like hip hop, electronic music. He does like a little bit of everything. Um, but they stay working. You have to listen. And this artist that you don't mm -hmm. know, Black Milk works with. You know what I'm saying? But it's. It's just amazing to see everybody going in direction. But you have to look that Dilla and Slum Village, they had to leave. Royce had to leave and go to New York and blow up before he came back. And now everybody is calling him to go to MC. And then you got Eminem. He had to leave and go to Jersey and join the Outsiders with Rock and Young Z in order Facts. to come back and then go to L.A. and then mess with Dre for people to start putting him in a top 10 list. You know what I'm saying? So it's different. It just works different. And you know what I'm saying? And even then, you still, it's just a toss up of whether people respect you or not. I used to tell people, I'd have been around the world a couple times. Like, I'd have been a, a bunch of spots around the world, not just states. But I would trade it all in the world to be able to go back to my old hood and they give me a chance. They just listen. I would trade it. I would trade it. Mm -hmm. And that's East Side. What side of Detroit did you grow up on? Yep. East side of Detroit, okay. So who are some of your favorite MCs in the D? Or from the D? Uh, awesome Dre. Awesome Dre is my number one Detroit rapper. Uh, he's had a group awesome called Awesome Dre. Dre in the Hardcore Committee. He had a song called You Can't Hold Me Back. It was the first group in Detroit that had a major label record deal. Um, most people don't know that Fat Cat was a part of uh, the first major label. Uh, one of the first major labels, period. It was called uh, Payday Records. Um, so he he already made history. Um, DJ Lowe's, who DJs for Royce and Kid Vicious, he was a part of um, DJ Lowe's and um, DJ Lowe's and Easy B. Um, that was the first like official like rap group from Detroit. Um, you just got a lot of history. You got Merciless Samir, who was amazing. He had a song called A Day Without a Rhyme. I just I like doing my homework. And I like listening, and I like studying rap. I love studying music history, man. I feel like I, I remember. You know how when me and yeah. you talk, I always joke about Detroit, and um, I also <laughs> need you to get me a pair of buffs too. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, you know, I got I got my fur on right man, now when right, I'm doing this right. interview. You know what I'm saying? It it ain't real. It's from Goodwill. You know what I'm saying? But it was it was ten bucks, so I got it on while I'm that talking to you, your know, fellow Detroit player. <laughs> No, nah, I'm just messing with you, man. But I want to ask you, um, mm -hmm. now that we're talking about Detroit, yeah. um, you have an album that I love uh, called 62. And you yeah. gave it a limited release. What was the motivation behind that album? And uh, can you talk about how we discussed the similarity with Marvin Gaye's Here My Dear All right. and 62? 62 is a touchy album. Um Okay, Here My Dear is probably my favorite Marvin Gaye album and probably my favorite all-around album, not just genre. Jules is my favorite hip-hop album. Mm -hmm. Here My Dear is my favorite album. Um, and Donny Hathaway is my favorite artist. But Here My Dear, it just hits different. So, um, 62... I didn't always, I didn't set out to make 62. So, um, let me say, all right, I'm gonna keep it on it. I got divorced and, um, at the height of my divorce, like when shit was ugly, I mean, front of the court ugly. I mean, everything ugly, like the adjustment period ugly. And my son, I had my son in tow and the mm -hmm. only outlet I had while I was juggling bills and juggling, FOC and juggling everything was to go to the lab 
and we used to, I, me and him used to go to the lab when my boy was out of town because the lab was in his basement, and they used to be like, "Yo, you can just, you can just come over here, crash," and it used to be like our getaway. And he's like, "Come over." Caden would be upstairs watching TV. I would be in the basement just recording day in, day out, like Friday to Sunday. Sometimes if they were gone, I would record for wow. like a week. But um, I would just go record. And um, really, at first, I was just knocking out features. Joints that I had sat on, joints that I owe people. And um, a producer named Mark Cooper came over. And he's like, oh, I got some joints. So he sent he came over and he played some beats while I was in the middle of doing features. And um, I don't know. He left some beats. He's like, I'm gonna just leave these here. And so all right, in between my features, I started I started writing. And um, mind you, this is the height, this is the ugly part of my divorce. And um, I ended up writing. And I have a tendency to write everything down. That's why I warn people and shit. Watch what you say to me. Watch how you treat me. Because I promise you, it could be a mm-hmm. gift or a curse. I promise you, if you cross me out, you might end up in a fucking song in Japan. and You would not like that. So, uh... <laughs> or, or he'll make a meme about you having a patchy beard. You like, like, you know, you'll you do can't that help too. Me. You're very mean. You with just make memes. themselves better when it comes to you. But, um... <laughs> When did when did uh, CC2 yeah. drop? I December. It, 6th, I didn't know. Um, I had did that record you, and I sat on it for like a year to be to, to be truthful, because I didn't know. Um, so I had started writing the joints that Mark dropped off, and then I looked up. I think I was at the studio for like a week, and I looked up at the end of that time, and I had written like seven joints. I recorded it, mm. and um. It sounded good, but it was extremely... Per- I, I like to be personal in my music, but that shit is personal. <laughs> Man, it, it was. Like, yeah. the one song you had on there, uh, Fatherhood with Illa J, that hit home. And it, 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 it touched me because why I love the project so much, in my opinion, was like, it felt like just hearing an everyday guy you know, you weren't listening to just an artist. You were listening to a man just discussing, you know, the aftermath of, of a divorce and still trying to, you know, be there for your son. You know what I mean? And and maintain artistry. Well, and that's, gotta, a, that's a hard thing. Um, when I stopped rapping, the one thing I told myself when I stopped rapping, when I got when I got with my son's mom and um. We had got back together. We had broken up. And we had got back together. And we had got married. And I had decided to say, all right, I know I took out on this leap to go rapping, but I need to go back to work. I went back to a nine to five. But the thing I told myself was never look back. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't. I promise you, I didn't. I never did. I put my head down. I went I went back to work. Even when, even when people was calling me while they was on tour. And I was working two or three jobs to just keep things in order. And they was calling me like, yo, nigga, I'm going to Australia. You should be here, too. And um, they was calling me at midnight on oh, my man, second job. I had, job. To, I had I to driving be like, them. I was like you, should, you should be here, too. You shouldn't have never did that. And um, But I did it. And I, 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 never, I never picked my head up. I never looked back. And um, when I, mm-hmm. when we got divorced, <laughs> I looked back. I saw everything I gave up, man. Because I didn't just give it up for my kid. I gave it up for for my ex. I gave it for for family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that no more. You gotta if you listen to every record before '62, and you look at the liner notes. I thank my family. I thank my ex-wife first. I used to call her hip hop. So. If you ever see me say, you know, this is for hip hop, this is the, and the reason I call her hip hop, nigga, because ups and downs, good or bad, whatever, hip hop is always gonna fucking be hip hop. So that's, why, that's Facts, why, always that's why, never game, yeah. That's why I call her hip hop. So I gave, <laughs> I gave her that name because love or hate it, it's always gonna be there. So.
What were some of the favorite songs on the project that you made? Um, I, t- I told you mine. I, I like Risk and Reward, Risk vs. Reward, 62, Said What I Said, and The Constants. What was your favorite? If you could pick one record on that whole project that uh, just was your uh, favorite, which one would it be? The one with the sample. What, what's that one? Um, it's no, it's not. It's I want to say risk first reward. It's, it's, it's the snippet. It's the snippet joint. Um, it's really short. Um, uh, mm. Fatherhood is 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 definitely Apollo Brown did that beat. Um, and the reason I originally, okay. I don't know what I had it named, but when I called it fatherhood, it's, a, it's actually an acronym. So it stands for, uh, I think it's for all the honest, everyday, real, hopelessly optimistic, um, hopelessly optimistic, but ordinary dads. That's what it stands for. Um, <laughs> I smell a t-shirt. No, just- <laughs> Jay, Jay. No, I really like that joint. Um, <laughs> and I started performing that joint. But there's a joint my boy John Rogers did that I did. Um... Shout out John Rogers. He just signed with Fat Beats. Uh, yeah, that's my, that's my brother. He's, recently, he's just correct? a genuine dude, man. John Rogers is dope, man. I need, I need some John. I need, I need to collab with that dude. I'm done. Got, I was supposed to stop. Last time I was in Kent, I was supposed to stop back through. Where he to Columbus, but I didn't realize Columbus was so far from Canton. But we had already already tried to we we keep trying to get together, but we keep missing each other. But he's it's only a few genuine hundred people in this in this shit that we do. Like it ain't it ain't really that many, and that's why I kind of stay to myself and I stay out the way. So you know, uh, and that's that's the best way to be because I have a tendency to expect me out of everybody around me. And the fact is, since I can't expect me out of everybody around me and I can only expect me out of me, then I'd rather just stay around me because it's disappointing as fuck when I expect right. people to, to, to act a certain way with respect or certain like that. But that's, that's my fault for looking at people like that. But, um, <laughs> introvert gangs, you know, the vibes, <laughs> yeah. Nah, hey man, I want, I yeah. want, I want to ask you this. Since we talked about yeah. Detroit, you came yeah. to my city um, a few times. So, <laughs> do you want to talk yeah. about that with your experience of coming to the three three zero? Yeah, because I tell, because I tell you, when I went to Detroit, I ended up in front of St Andrews Hall on accident because uh-huh. I was like at them? Sweetwater getting those wings. Uh, I love them. Okay. I'm going, I'm, I'm going back. So what was yeah. your experience like in Canton? Because you came for the Cipher, you came for uh, my show as oh, well. You came a few yeah, times, I man. Do, you, uh, you a three three old kid. I definitely you know? felt the support out there, um, and it, it was dope just being able to come out there and just see you. I like to see people shine in front of they in their element and just like like in their genuine element where they a hundred percent comfortable, not when they in somewhere else. And um, you know, I hit the road. I came out there the first time. I didn't really know what to expect. The one thing that did stick out is what did tell me that everybody in Canton expected me to sound like fucking Sodom. <laughs> Bro, I'm the oh, man. I spoke and I to niggas, niggas, niggas was like, oh shit, you from Detroit? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know Sodom, baby. Where your buffs I'm looking like, it's more than that. But I mean, he performed in Canton before. He performed at this little Mexican spot over on uh, Cleveland he Avenue. He so he, he had three three kids. Everybody, nobody said nothing. <laughs> That's the most frustrating thing about Detroit hip hop is nobody says anything about. Here's the thing. Yes, Sada Baby. Yes, there's these niggas, and yes, they're they're good. I love Detroit rap. I love it. That that style of Detroit rap. That kind of offbeat shit, but that's that's Word. unique as fuck. That T Grizzly shit, that is what it is, and that's very lucrative for those niggas. But it frustrates me to be able to know that. Me too. It's it's like me too, bro. And I ain't it's even art- from Detroit. Artists like me, it's artists like Fat Man. Man. It's artists like Guilty. 
It's artists that stay moving. And we go overseas and we rap for thousands and thousands of people who pay, who pay 50 bucks a pop to get and in the club. And it's literally like 2,000 people in the club. We come to Detroit, we do a show. I don't know. It's a hundred fifty, maybe. It's a toss up. It could be a hundred fifty. It could be uh, it could be five hundred. It don't matter. You know what I'm saying? But it's just that, like I said, a lot of us would trade all that shit just to get a little bit of respect in our own city. And I, I'm, you know, you can't can't demand it. But yeah, mm. no. So, um, Canton, it was a test. I remember I did the show. It went all right. And then I drove back and I called Corona and I was like, yo, I got to go back. And she. Nah, you told Miss Corona. Uh, Corona. Hey, tell, tell the listeners legend. who Miss Corona is. Sister. So, yeah, it, she was an eight. And she mile. was an eight mile. She too. was an eight mile and she been doing it for a long time. And she still she's still killing niggas out here. Did she no, say? Did she say where that. the hell is Ken at? Yeah. When you said that, she um, I called her and I was like, <laughs> I gotta go back. And she was like, What happened? I was like, Man, I fucking, I fucking bombed in Ken. I don't never do that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I did. I'm gonna tell you, you why. Think I you bombed I felt a certain way because you expected me. I, I was. I told her. I was like, Yo, all these niggas. I think they expected me to sound like Sada Baby or some shit. No, but see, but that's where I come into play because, like, they don't know that I know the side that you're talking about. All the artists you mentioned, like Guilty and Dilla, that's the Detroit that I love. So, like, the new Detroit that's popular now, that's being spread throughout the city, I was like, that was my first thought. I said, man, I hope they do not expect Finale Oh, no, 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 no. It, it wasn't a bad talking thing. About bus. And the thing is, is that's why I say I look at, I look at hip-hop differently. Is um is um I looked at that as a challenge. So I was like, no, I, I gotta I gotta go back and set it right. I'm not used to stepping on stage and not doing what I do. Uh, she's like, yo, did they boo you? I was like, no, it wasn't like that. It mm -hmm. just wasn't it wasn't what I normally get when I get on stage. And I don't normally and you know what I'm saying, and she was like, Okay. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, but I think it's crazy when you get outside of Detroit in the States, especially in the Midwest, how they expect us to sound one way. And I was like, I want to, I want to go back. Yeah. So when you called and you was like, yo, come do the cypher. I was like, oh, let's go do cypher. And me and Kate, me and Kate came back, hopped in the and car bodied and, it. and it was good, you know, for us to take a little road trip and we came out there and it was just, it was just good to, you know, it's always good to get out there, man. I feel, I feel like that's second home. Same way I feel about Chicago. I feel about Ken. I'm still cool with everybody in Chicago. Chicago's like second home to me. Um, and everybody, man, St. St. Louis is like, I mean, everywhere I go, I could say the crazy thing about hip hop, man, is crazy. It's about the footprints. I'm all about footprints, bro. Even if I'm in the middle of France and me and Corona Word. was in the middle of France on tour back in 2015, we had did a record with this, um, with this French label and they had brought us out on tour for like two months. We were on tour. And everywhere we stopped, every little town, we spoke at a youth center. Um, or we went to a school and we talked. And um, what we also did was, it was always a producer that wanted to record. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in wherever you at that you haven't been before, nigga, leave a footprint. So the producer wanted to work. So I knew he ain't had no money. Well, he was, you know, he was coming up. So we recorded a joint. We recorded a joint and I left it. And we did that. And, I, you know, I, um, I had somebody ask me, it's like, why are you out there just doing free joints? I was like, man, because you never know. It'll come back. But you just made, you made that producer's day. And you don't know, you know, what that record going to do or when it will come back. Or if they call you back to do a show. I remember the first time I went overseas, me and Invincible, we set up our own tour. We did everything ourselves and uh, we pocketed all the money, but uh, we, we both agreed this is the first time we're going over here. You know what we're going to do? Every single stage, we're going to body that shit. As soon as we got back, they was Facts. calling the bring us footprint. Back. Now, if we went over there and bombed, they wouldn't have been calling. But I, I believe leaving footprints is the 
is the is the way. That's why I can say at the end of the day, um, if I'm telling somebody my biggest um my biggest the biggest gift I ever got from hip hop is if me and my son or me and my future wife or my family, if we get stranded somewhere, uh, anywhere on this earth, considering I've been everywhere from Australia to to London to everywhere, I guarantee you there's somebody within a call somewhere that I can call, literally, and that would that would come get me, or I could I could I could crash, or or I could you know I could hang out with or. I can get a studio or I can do whatever. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of hip hop when you respect it and when you find genuine connections with people. Like I got brothers like DJ Stretch out in Paris, um, the Pan Am crew, um, all them dudes. Those are my people. They take care of us. They take care of us. Everybody, man. But hip hop is a beautiful thing. If you if you look at it that way, if you look at it as a money grab, then it's going to be a money grab. You're yeah. Be along. Not gonna be around that long, but I don't want to make records that last the summer. I want to make records that last 10, 20 years. I want records. <laughs> I want records. Please That's why say I'm that loud. Please say I that. I dream of the promise just got snatched up by Fat Beats. That wasn't nothing. I was about to give it to y'all for free. I ain't know. Appreciate it. I just got that. Congratulations up, on that. And I was about way. to. I was on the verge of just giving it to y'all because I had just got the just got the rights back to it. And um, next thing you know, my boy ID hit me, and he was like, "What you about to do with that?" I was like, "Man, I don't know. I mean, people been asking for it. I might just throw it up on Bandcamp, you know, with the instrumentals. You know, people been begging for the instrumentals." You got I it. need that one man yeah. show instrumental. Like he was yesterday. like, he was like, he was like, hold up. <gasps> and next thing you know, I got a call. I got a call. And he was Fat Beast. He was like, Fat Beast been trying to get this record. And uh, it all happened because of Eclipse. Eclipse, Eclipse hit me and they made man, a deal. And he was like, yeah, everybody Beast, excited man. over here for the record. So what they're going to do, uh, I mean, I guess since ID put it out there, I didn't even know they had rushed the test pressing, but I had signed that deal a, a month or so ago. But, um, they're gonna release the the actual album, and then they're gonna release the instrumentals separately. But it's all it's all done, man. But like that's a record I put out in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You gotta, you know what I'm saying? And it's still it's still people here that still that still play the shit. Mm-hmm. So, such as myself, like I told you, um, that 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 album title inspired my label. It's a name. My label is titled A Rhyme and a Dream because I saw you perform before I released any music and in college and I was like, I like that, but I didn't want to bite, so I got it a rhyme and a dream. So thank you for inspiring it's, it's always, my movement. You it's know just cool saying? to know people listening. You know, I ain't moving your know, hundreds of thousands of records and this shit like that, but I mean the fact that it's somebody somewhere that got something from something I said. That's just, and uh, you know what I'm saying, that just, it just make it, it make it a little worthwhile when I get that little, you know, DM or I get that, get that text message from somebody let me know they're still playing something, you know, new or, new or old that I put out, man. It, it means, it means a lot, man. So I, I appreciate every, every bit of it, bro. Cause I don't really look at music as a, I got a job job. So. <laughs> Amen, brother. I'm doing. I'm dropping off Amazon. I'm dreaming about so, the packages. I'm dropping off tomorrow, man. Like so a lot already. Yes, I mean a verse from Finale. I mean I do charge a lot, but I'm not trying to knock niggas over the head like with my with my fees or whatever. And if I if I could see myself and you coming up, a lot of times I just I'll just do the shit for free. I, I just like yo because I I know I know what it's Boy, like. Uh, and to be honest, I, I'm not in the business of undercutting myself. Now, if you were the label and you got a budget, you gon' you gonna pay. But if you coming up and you um I would rather take I would rather give you a verse for free before I knock my price down to some hundred dollar deal or some some fifty dollar deal. I would rather, you know, you know rather this value right there. Like these dudes, man, it's like these guys talk about feature prices but they're more concerned with the price than like the verse you know what i'm saying and it's like they're more concerned with getting the money than the verse like i i, I have issues with those guys that'll be like yo 
I'm knocking out features today because I'm such a, a lyricist. I like to take time with it. Like, I'm about to sit here all day and come up with some I mean, shift 16 because you, you dropped me 100. You get it how you want. and You, got, you know what I'm saying? You got to get it. Get it if, if people are paying. But it's of course. just like, I would rather... Nah, I mean, I, I work, I worked hard for my rate. So, and I, 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 st- I stand on my rate, and I know, um, I know what it is. But if I can see that you, you ain't got it like that, I'm not, I'm not gonna beat you over the head with it and you packing. But I'm definitely not about to be like, all right, just give me yeah. seventy five dollars. I'm not gonna do that because you could go and tell the nigga that just gave me seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yo, finale, I just gave him a story and he just gave me the same verse for seven seventy five dollars. I'm like, no, nah, that, that's bad. That's bad business. <laughs> that's bad business for real that's very bad business but finale man um i like to end my shows with the guests asking or ending it with saying something that they mean so um i want you to end this podcast with saying something that you mean from the heart whether it be a shout out a statement that you'd like to make for the listeners what is something oh. that you can say that you mean never don't dwell on it don't never fucking dwell on it and um, I got a new house. I'm bouncing back. You know, um, I'm doing what I got to do. Do what you got to do at all times to get ahead and do what you got to do for the ones you love. Do what you got to lo- do what you got to do for the ones you love, no matter what. So. Facts. Do what you got to do and don't dwell in the finale. Man, this was such an honor, bro. Thank you for kicking off my podcast. I really appreciate you for this. Oh, man. man. Thank you very it much. Was a great Anytime, conversation. I appreciate you. You know. Uh, you can find where can they Bandcamp where can they find the music at? DT313. Um I got I got 62 vinyl. Um, um the Pipe Dream vinyl is coming out. It will be on the Fat Beats website. I'll let y'all know when that drop. But you can keep up, you know, on uh, Facebook and uh, all that stuff. I'm not really big on the social medias. I do Facebook. Yeah, so yeah, he makes memes about my beard. Uh, so if you want to see those, <laughs> do the uh, all of this uh, finale det three one three or finale three one three. But you could you could check me out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. But uh, just just keep up with me. It's more coming. I got I got a I got a feature with a. Uh, with me, Guilty, Tia God, and um, and Fillmore Green from Chicago. Um, I got I got some okay got some things happening, man. So I mean, really, I'm just rapping, man. And half of the shit you don't get for free because fuck it, man. Let's just rap, man. 2020 told me you can't sit on shit, so let's just let's just let it go. So let's just rap. This is John Peter MC, and this appreciate is say you what you mean. Bro. Finale. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Check. All we seem to do is fight, that's all we do Doing bad to get through to you when I couldn't make you happy No more east, I know I got that right Told myself keep moving, not quit giving misery company Walk alone, but you gon' be alright That road up ahead, look unfortunate and rocky Who gon' stop me, you gon' try me, we ain't throwing dice so listen before you shoot that shot and change your life. I guess you better know the price. We are changing. We are ever changing. Always rearranging. Always rearranging. With all I need. All I need. Constant love. Constant love. We get too comfortable too quick to pass down family recipe books And when collecting dust don't cook, clean or work That shit get overlooked and she gon' fuss Split the power hood and watch it fall apart and get the crust But sometime I been skipping over my first mind It get hard to do for self when I got used to seeing us I could just start up something new with someone else Instead I just look at these new women And I get deja vu I'm refusing to do it twice I won't be giving up my life for no wife I got my son for that I'm grateful was he worth it? Yes, he was. So I gave him his over mine. So I don't regret the price. We are ever changing, always rearranging. All I need is constant love. It's all about the changing. changing. Stands, always rearranging. All we seem to do is fight, that's all we do Doing bad to get through to you when I couldn't make you happy No more east, I know I got that right Told myself keep moving, not quit giving misery company Walk alone, but you gon' be alright 
That road up ahead, look unfortunate and rocky Who gon' stop me, who gon' try me, we ain't throwing dice So listen, before you shoot that shot to change your life I guess you better know the price, come on Nowadays it feel like everything I ever dreamt about got too far to see The real knowledge is in recovering my long lost peace I'm on a one man mission to water my seed And I know that I ain't perfect by no means I heard somewhere from somebody that when a house ain't a home You gon' put that shit up release I'm too grown for what you doings I need to know what you need from me Before when I wanted to build you with the right one I guess you was on your two folks out here cut though Tip for tap the back and forth for which of them won't smoke You got old Always rearranging. Always rearranging. Love I'm giving